Section twenty seven of A Day at a Time by Archibald Alexander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Section twenty seven. Wonder. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Exodus chapter three, verse three. Moses, as one commentator significantly, was then eighty years of age. By the ordinary standards, he was an old man yet he had not lost his youthful sense of wonder. It is a good sign, the best of signs, when a man has lived so long and yet finds wonder in his heart. It is a bad sign when a man at any age, or when a generation of men, find nothing in all God's world to wonder at. Yet in many quarters it is regarded as the correct attitude to refrain from expressing surprise at anything, no matter how striking. The utmost concession to be made to what is really wonderful is a languid and patronizing, really. That is always a pitiful thing, for where there is no wonder, there can be no religion worthy of the name. The instinct of worship and the instinct of wonder are very intimately related, and where the one has died, the other cannot be in a very healthy state. I had rather, said Ruskin once, live in a cottage and wonder at everything, then live in Warwick Castle and wonder at nothing. And his preference is to be commended, for he who has never wondered has never thought about God in any way to be called thinking. It was our Lord himself who said that the ideal of religion was the childlike heart. Everyone knows that these little people are always being brought to a halt to wonder at something. And heaven is in very truth nearer to them then and they are more truly filled with its spirit than either you or I are when the glory and bloom of this world unfold before our eyes, or the thought of the infinite and eternal God comes to us, and we have not felt impelled to bow our heads in silence and worship, spellbound and in a godly fear. It is not hard to lay one's finger on some of the causes that have brought about this state of things. A silly fashion, for one cause, has decreed that wonder is vulgar. Why that should be so, no one can tell. But if there be higher intelligences than ours in God's universe, and they see the sons of men, as they have plenty of chances to do, casting an indifferent glance at the full pomp and majesty of the setting sun, or reading such a psalm as the 103rd with an untouched heart, how they must marvel indeed. And then, of course, Familiarity tends to blunt the sense of wonder in a certain and common type of mind. The best men have always resisted that tendency and recognized that it works harm to life and character. They have remembered to look for God in the common and familiar, and that is a search that goes far to make a man a saint, just because it is a continual prayer, a continual holding open of the heart to God. His answer is to fill the wondering heart, bit by bit, with himself. Ignorance, too, is often a cause, the kind of ignorance that calls itself knowledge. It is an innocent delusion on the part of the youthful Tyro in science that after he had made a little experiment with a prism and a beam of sunlight, there is nothing wonderful in the rainbow. Pure, profound science, on the other hand, speaks very humbly and wonders all the while. Nature is dumb and silent concerning the infinite behind it to him who goes but to catalogue and dissect. 
take a heart that can wonder with you on your country walk. Open your eyes and look. Open your heart like a child and listen, and you will find, as Moses found, that even in a bush there may be the voice of God. Hold the door of your heart ajar in simple wonder, and something of God will enter to cleanse and freshen it, as the hot and dusty street is washed by the rain from heaven. Just as he who goes to nature with a heart that cannot wonder will find no message there for him, so he who looks out upon the sanctities of home, of human life and love, in that dull mood of mere acceptance, must often find himself hard-pressed for material when he makes his thanksgiving to God. George Eliot has spoken somewhere of the agony of the thought that we can never atone to the dead for the stinted affection we gave them, for the little reverence we showed to that sacred human soul that lived so close to us and was the divinest thing God has given us to know. The divinest thing God has given us to know. Have we realized that that gift of God to us lives now in the same home with us? Do you know what it is? It is a wife's devotion, a mother's care, a brother's comradeship, a sister's love. It is the trust and affection of little children and the patience of those who love us. And yet there have been men, judge ye if this be not true, who have lived close to gifts of God like these and taken them all unquestioned and never wondered at the undeserved bounty of them or their continuance from day to day. How easy it is to discover the gifts and charm of a stranger, how easy to wonder at that, but to wonder at the sacrifice and the patience of the love that dwells under the same roof with us, and stoops, in Mrs. Browning's happy phrase, to the level of each day's most quiet need. How few of us do that. And yet, without daily wonder, how can we be sure that we do not slight it, or requite it ill? How can we truly give our thanks to God, whose gift it is? Most important of all, he who brings no wonder in his heart can never be touched with the sense of God. The lack of the great deep and awful wonder of our fathers in all their thought and speech about God has brought it about that our religious speech today is too often either superficial, flippant, and easy, or syllogistic, mechanical, and hard. It is the absence of wonder that tempts men to imagine that God can be enclosed in any formula whatever, or brought to the hearts of men in so many rigid propositions. If men would but give their wonder expression when they frame their creeds, there would be less chafing where the edges are too sharp. I am bound to confess that my sympathies are all together with a working man who once listened to a fervid evangelist at a street corner unfolding a scheme of salvation as clean-cut and mechanical as a problem of Euclid, and buttonholed him afterwards to inquire if he had ever read any astronomy. No, he said, he had not. That's a pity, said the artisan, for, eh, man, but ye have an awful wee god. In all reverence, my brothers. That is what the absence of wonder brings us to, a small God, a small salvation, and a merely mechanical Christ. Men have sometimes asked what that childhood of the kingdom is on which Jesus laid so much stress, and some have taken it to mean renunciation of intellect and reason in favor of a church's dogma. But it means, says John Kelman, 
something far more human and more beautiful. It means wonder and humility and responsiveness, the straight gaze of childhood past conventionalities, the simplicity of a mind open to any truth and a heart with love alive in it. That is surely right. That is what becoming a little child in Christ's sense does mean. First of all, wonder. Prayer Almighty and eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe, dwelling in light that is inaccessible and full of glory, whom no man hath seen or can see, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is high. We cannot attain unto it. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Amen. End of section 27.